0: This is Writing Grief, a podcast for writers who want to transform loss into art. We are your hosts, Rachel Thompson and Melly Walker. We are writing our own grief stories, some of which are published, and others we've worked on for years. We believe we don't need to write grief alone, and finding other grief writers is magic. Welcome, grief writers, to the second episode of the Writing Grief podcast. In this conversation, we talked about how and whether writing stories from our lives is like therapy. What's the difference between disclosure about the more painful events of our lives and making art about a life that includes those events? And note that we're not psychotherapists, we are not counselors, but we do talk a bit about our experiences with therapy and how it has helped us write and make meaning out of our lives. Again, this podcast and this episode feature difficult or painful topics based on our own experiences, including mental health, grief, and death by suicide. The show notes on our website, writinggrief.com, include reference to suicide prevention services and hotlines. So please, if you're in crisis, we want you to have resources, which is why we've also included a couple inroads to accessing therapy on a sliding scale. And we also mentioned some organizations who are doing this work to help folks access mental health services. So Rachel, what are you thinking about now when you hear this conversation from months ago? Well, I've been thinking a lot about Julia Cameron's book, The Right to
1: Write, because that's my current read and almost wishing I had read it before we recorded this episode because she so succinctly says that writing isn't therapy, but it can be something that therapy isn't therapeutic. And I feel like that really sums up well how and why I'm writing at present and that writing hard stuff is different from writing lighter material. We need to take breaks or at least give ourselves a break and the room to write therapeutically, to process. Writing is now, I feel like part of my daily health routine and a solve against the loneliness of this time in history or maybe just all of history because I am just more connected to me when I write. How about you, Millie? How's the
0: writing going? Yeah, I hear you. I'm realizing once again that the health of my body, mind, heart, and soul is directly related to my creative capacities. I think a healthy inner life is definitely huge for my writing. And knowing that about myself doesn't need to be too intense or self-absorbed. It just is So it just feels like so much of writing and even being a creative person who makes art to share with others seems to need or benefit from deep self-awareness. This is our
1: conversation where we ask, is writing like therapy? Let's get into it. Hi, Millie. Hello, Rachel. We're going to talk about memoir as therapy today, or as we've Put it in our title in our notes, memoir equals therapy, question mark.
0: Question mark. How are you feeling about your memoir? You were saying before we started recording that you were talking about writing the damn thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's
1: kind of the whole point of our project. <laughs> well, it's part of it. I mean, it's to find our community of other grievers who are writing grief memoirs. But a big part of what needs to be happening in tandem for me is writing the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And I find I'm still kind of avoiding it. So in this episode, I guess a preamble, I'm gonna commit to getting my hands messy again, go back to at least my outline and start thinking about where I need to start writing again.
0: Mm -hmm. The sections I need to expand. How about you? Yeah, Yeah, I think actually you saying about returning to the outline is probably a good place for me to go back to. Right now I'm working on smaller pieces. I still don't know if I'm going to have chapters or a collection of connected pieces. So I guess I don't have to decide that, but it would be good to go back to an outline for sure.
1: Yeah, that feels like a later decision that you don't need to make yet. Mm -hmm. I know we're both reading Betsy Worland's book on revision, Breathing the Page, and how She talks about the writing knows the form that it wants to be in. Yeah. So to me, that feels just right. And then you're going to see what form it wants to take. You mean I can't plan it all out ahead of time?
0: That's disappointing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, for me too, because I took a whole course on planning it out. Like, that's why I have an outline. I took a course on outlining. And it's useful in its own way,
0: but it hasn't manifested it magically into a memoir now (laughs) since I have that outline. Do you think there's value to making an outline knowing that it might change, but at least you feel like you have something, like you're going somewhere? I think it's very helpful scaffolding. Yeah.
1: It's like I have a general idea of where it can go, but I still have to find where I'm going to begin and where I'm going to end, even though I've declared that in this outline. But again, I want to keep it loose. It's like the pencil sketch version, Mm -hmm. and it's going to change when I keep sketching, erase some lines add paint, but I have to be doing those damn things. (laughs) That's the thing that's frustrating me right now is I'm not. But you know what? I also am living in 2021 as a woman who's got a lot of personal responsibility. So, you know, it doesn't help me to beat myself up about it, but the desire is there. I might go to some looser kind of mapping of visual brainstorm kind of, what do they call that, mind mapping yeah. That might be where I go next.
0: So what is the, when you write all over the page Play. in no order, what's that called? There's a word, I do remember. I think it's a
1: mind map too, right? Where you do little bubbles and they all kind of feed off each other. I was thinking
0: like when you write around the outside of the page or you write sideways or you make shapes oh. out of the text. I learned about that in a writing workshop once. I don't Anyways. know this.
1: If we find it, we'll link to it in the show notes or we'll explore it in a future episode because I'm... Super curious about that.
0: Yeah. We're talking about therapy. (laughs) I mean, authentically, I did think like when you were saying still figuring out what the story is, it does kind of remind me of how seeing a therapist, whether it's talk therapy or not, it's like I am working out my story and telling myself my story and then saying like, is that my story? There is something similar there where you're looking at the story that you thought you had and kind of wondering whether you could tell a different one or tell it in a different way. I didn't see that connection before, but I like that. Yeah,
1: and like in therapy, you're kind of trying to understand the significance Mm -hmm. of events and examining each one. And I mean, for sure, my experience in therapy is like, oh, you know, why did this recent experience bother me so much? Is it like that time when my mother, you know, like it's always making those kind of connections back to childhood. When did you start therapy? Oh yeah, good question. I started in my thirties, I'm in my forties now. I'm not currently in therapy, but I have done, I guess, several years of therapy with different therapists, some with different like somatic type practices, Some who are more like cognitive behavioral therapy type people are more of a mixed bag, though, not like solely that. And yeah, I mean, some that I didn't really get on with in the end and some that I really liked. And I mean, it was really useful for me to explore for a lot of reasons through therapy. I just even learned how i feel like emotions yeah were not accessible (laughs) to me until you know and so until my 30s i didn't know whether i felt sad or mad or tired even like i just didn't know how i felt because i didn't know how to experience feelings and listen to my body and understand what they were so i mean those are all great tools for writers to have to know you know,
0: how a person feels. (laughs) Yes. And then to be able to share that with the reader in a way that is processed and is clear. I always joke that I thought that emotional intelligence was just having lots of emotions, but eventually realizing that like being able to kind of locate the emotion and examine it is like, and then what to do with it and how to react and how to express and emotions pointing to needs or unmet needs. And, you know, just like having needs was a whole revolutionary thing. When did you start therapy? I started therapy when I was 15. My mom made me go. And then I've basically been in therapy on and off since then. Right now, my therapist is, she does somatic experiencing therapy about the body and It comes from Peter Levine and the idea that trauma lives in the body. And I've definitely talked a lot and I think that's great, but I can talk around issues pretty well. And in fact, that has been part of my coping is to perform intellect and to perform insight. And so once I was in therapy that connected me to my body and wasn't about saying the right thing that's when things really started to move for me yeah like just that deep
1: listening to your body and how you feel you're reminding me I did do like art therapy I guess when I was about 15 as well mm -hmm. and it was really profound it was like a one session thing but one like you know guidance counselor but then didn't do it for a long time because of the layers of shame associated with it in my family too. It's like, it was an insult. You need therapy. Yeah. Was always like bandied back and forth within our family. And in truth, everybody did, but we hurled it at each other. Like there's something wrong with you. Certainly the beliefs probably the culture society that I grew up in at the time was like, if you're in therapy, something is wrong with you. But something
0: is wrong. Yeah. Something is wrong. But yeah, totally. There's like that don't portray the family secrets. And I think a lot of families have that it's fine to go to therapy, but I don't want to hear what you're saying about me or whatever, or not being able to debrief with family about therapy because it's more of a intellectual concept than something they're willing to practice. Yeah. Or in my case, it's often like any kind
1: of vulnerability, right? Yes. It's like becomes a weapon so just the fact that you're in therapy but then to dare even say what's happening in the therapy would be hard I think you're really on to something in terms of there was a real fear associated what would happen in therapy what kind of things would I expose about our family too
0: yeah and don't disrupt the story I mean isn't that a Betsy Moreland thing too like the coma story or the keeper of the story am I quoting that right The
1: authorized version, yeah. Oh, the authorized family
0: has like an authorized
1: storyteller. Having spoken to her about this, she said, it's always not the writer. The writer is telling the unauthorized version of the story. Yes. Because we need to assert ourselves as having a story because there's this dominant story that consumes us, really.
0: Do you think that going to therapy and then writing memoir about your story Having said those things aloud to a therapist or having processed those things, is it easier to write the really scary stuff on the page? Like, you know, that feeling before you write something you've never written before and you get that kind of like, ooh, am I allowed to do this? Even though you know you're allowed to like intellectually, but there's that like, oh, the first time you write it. I think that probably primed me a bit more to be able to write because I had seen in my therapist's eyes that, I wasn't a monster or that this was a a worthwhile thing to examine.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think so. Like I was saying before, it helped make connections for me too. It's like, okay, this is like this. And so there's something there that has meaning making that I could do in, in the writing.
0: Yeah, I'm writing more than ever now. And I think it's because of my current Therapist, and I've even shared a piece with her, which I was quite nervous about, but it did make me feel seen. I just didn't want to put it on her, like she had to congratulate me or give me critique. I just made it very clear that I was sharing of myself. Like this was another way for me to be in connection, basically, rather than wanting her feedback. I think because I've had therapists kind of like not show any interest in my creative side. But the last two therapists who were both trauma-informed, both doing, the previous one was doing EMDR. And so both of them really encouraged my creative life and seemed to understand how important it was to me, whether I published what I'm writing about or not. Yeah, I wonder
1: about the flip of that. I know that's definitely something we want to get into. Is the writing itself deepening and supporting the therapy? You're getting the benefits of the therapy to be able to tell the story. I'm curious how therapeutic you find writing to be.
0: I think one of the things that talking out these memorable stories does with a therapist or feeling into them or revisiting them in a safe way that isn't isn't retraumatizing, it validates my experience and probably just helps me have more self-compassion. You have given me feedback about my writing that I need to do a self-compassion revision so I need help with that obviously in understanding that what I did to cope was my survival tactic or a series of survival tactics and that that was a form of wisdom and I don't have to like shame myself for that and also a therapist can say oh yeah that's common for you as a that traumatic experience that you had, this reaction that you're having where you are acting recklessly or those things you did in your mid-20s were related to this childhood story. And then a therapist can also put it in the context of not just how we process or work these things out emotionally and in our lives, but also bring a social context to an experience that makes me feel a little less special or freakish or whatever. So I can say, oh, actually, I would love to read a story about what I'm going through. And this is something that maybe would help other people who have survived these types of things. So it kind of has helped me focus on what I'm coming to see as the goal, which is to offer your story with a purpose of connecting to other people and helping readers yeah. as much as one can. But
1: that answers the kind of why publish question. Why not just write in a journal about how you're feeling versus yes, publishing? And uh, yeah, I've heard that referred to as kind of like the invisible person who has maybe had a similar experience or just similar feelings who maybe needs to hear that story because it's somewhat like their own. Yeah. And then be able to provide that book. Both of us would say that we've read books like that too, that have made us feel less alone. And I would argue that's kind of why we read in general too. Yeah. Sometimes we read to escape, but I think the deeper literary writing tends to be more about, oh, I'm not the only one who felt this way. And it's the place where we get to say those things that we can't say. I mean, talking about being too much in our previous episode where we're not allowed to say those things or it's considered too much in a book it's not it's like that's what we picked up this book for we want
0: to feel things with you and it feels like there's kind of a consent if I pick up a book that on the cover references I don't know sexual trauma or something like that I have consented to that kind of story and I'm like okay yes I'm in and so Something about that feels a little more, I don't know, protected than social conversation in which I quiet the room and silence the room because I've said something too dark, which happens. Been there. I know that
1: too. <laughs> Speaking of a
0: moment of shared experience.
1: When it comes to writing, though, one some of the things we wanted to talk about here, too, is in writing circles... There is a tension with this idea of writing as therapy. So writing equals therapy, question mark. A lot of people would say no, that this isn't a therapy session, which I think, as you put it before, it can be both respectful to the writer. Like, we're not going to talk about your trauma and make you go through that. But it can be really disparaging, too. I've heard it used disparaging, like, oh, this person's writing this and it's just a journal entry and they shouldn't be sharing this here in this space.
0: And I would feel very self-conscious about, and I guess that's why we're having this conversation. I would feel self-conscious about saying, oh, this story or this essay was a form of therapy, which I don't think I would say that. But even to say, like, is it a word thing to say, this was therapeutic. This was helpful in my healing. I admire when other writers say that, especially in my opinion, the story is pretty processed and It feels like they've done a lot of work. So I respect that. But I feel nervous saying that because of the judgment. But that's also a bit silly because aren't I allowed to find healing in my art? There's super
1: amounts of shame associated with that. Like how dare you work out your feelings in your art on the one hand. Yeah. And then on the other, I've seen non-writers, like interviewers, Talk to someone about a memoir that handles grief or trauma and be like, oh, it must have been so therapeutic for you to write this. And both of those feel really discounting and really reducing the art to just one or the other. And in my experience, it's definitely been both. Like, I think therapy is therapy and writing is writing, I guess, too. And part of writing is like coming to understand things more deeply. And so that has had positive impacts for me i go to therapy so that i can own my story so that i can challenge these narratives and personalities that have been imposed on me character flaws and for self-esteem issues and processing trauma both you know historic like more complex ptsd type of trauma and then the intensity of my traumatic experience that i'm centering a lot of my memoir around And I don't know if the writing helps specifically with PTSD, but I guess it's like practice to be able to talk about it, look at it from a distance, and kind of separate yourself from feeling in a good way, you know, not in a disassociative way, but just more like, here's like the external version of what happened. I can actually put it somewhere. And even imagining that someday someone's going to read that to you. And it's like, here's the story, it's contained in this place.
0: Yeah, containment. That's an interesting word.
1: It's like control, right? It's like feeling a lot of these feelings. Trauma can feel like a lot of loss of control. I get to harness it. This is a world that I make the rules in and I can tell it in the way I want to. Now, of course, I want to make it readable <laughs> too. So you know, I can't wield that power so willy-nilly. I definitely want to respect the reader too. It's not a journal entry that I want to publish. I want to publish something that's not just processed, but revised thoughtfully and carefully and
0: belongs to a tradition of craft and storytelling. Uh I guess the question is, and this is maybe an intuitive thing, but I don't know if we can really name it, but how do you know what's processed and what's a draft? And I'm not actually asking that, but there are certain markers that say... This is someone being responsible with their story. If I read another writer's trauma story in draft form, I want to be respectful of the person's process, but also, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I got lost.
1: I wonder if where you're going, because this is where I went too. was thinking like as an editor, I read a lot of work that isn't processed Uh And I'm making that evaluation. So, you know, who am I? But I am. And reading it and going, oh, this is just so raw. And there isn't really, again, a craft to it. Yeah, The writer feels out of control. I feel very touched that people trust the magazine that I'm editing with. And therefore, me as an editor, to read their deeply personal traumatic stories or like you said working with other writers in a workshop setting and having them share that work and I would wish for them to have a chance to get a little more control of their narrative as I say that I feel like I'm saying get control of yourself and stop feeling all over the place
0: but there's a tension between but, what I want to say and the word that came to me when I was in it A storytelling workshops we were preparing to tell out loud working on these stories about personal experiences and somebody in the workshop talked about sexual trauma that they'd had in childhood and as they read their draft in the workshop setting the word careening came to mind it's like just coming down the hill fast with no moves with no equipment when someone comes on stage And after a string of people who are nervous and you're kind of like cringing for them and hoping they do the best. And then somebody with real performance skills comes on stage and that you can just feel the whole crowd relax. There is a feeling that like, okay, like we can all relax like this person. We're in good hands. We trust this. I mean, I guess memoir is similar, like you're a tour guide or we trust this storyteller to take us through because it's like they've been along the path before. This isn't the first time they're going down the path. They've burrowed away through the mountain to the other side kind of thing, as opposed to, oh, we're all on this <laughs> on this expedition for the first time. None of us has been here before. And that's where it feels. Maybe it's almost like a bit embarrassing. It's like this person doesn't know what they're doing yet. Like maybe it's some kind of empathetic judgmental cringing
1: yeah it's like know? a
0: vicarious
1: discomfort yeah I do believe as a writer you need to trust your reader and your reader needs to trust you that's like fundamentals yeah. of, of writing and it's hard to trust someone when they're not clear like you said on where they're going <laughs> with this like you're not sure if they're okay and if it's even safe for them but it's such a line that's hard to define because I like art that makes me uncomfortable and challenges me where I need to be challenged to but I do think fundamentally the artist in that case kind of knows that they're doing that and the person who's sharing that work like when I'm reading it as an editor I definitely feel like oh this is the first person they've ever trusted with this story again it's really beautiful to have that kind of trust but then it's also I guess in that case, I do feel that this isn't therapy and it's such a privilege to be able to have any form of therapy too. So not everybody has yeah. access to that. And certainly the pieces probably that I'm reading, that's yeah. the case. I mean, I would love to have a workshop space where it's okay to share unprocessed work. I mean, I think you said in our notes, setting this up too, is like, how can we ever fully processed things when we're not even allowed to talk about them Mm -hmm. publicly where there's so much shame and kind of covering up happening. I would love to have a workshop space where people didn't feel embarrassed or feel like they had to do the other thing that they do, which is put someone on a pedestal. You're so brave. All the things you survived and instead just like human to human is great that the person survived and to celebrate that, but without dehumanizes them because it's like saying that they're somehow a superhuman for having survived. Again, I think that's reductive, just trying to say that people
0: who've survived certain experiences are somehow superhuman. That's someone not willing to talk about the work. I hear someone's, I don't know, it's almost like people-pleasing taking over, like, I'm going to congratulate you on, on doing this I can't believe you did this. Wow. It's like when people tell women of size or fat women that they're so brave, it's like, well, no, this is just me existing. I'm just being in my body and I'm not having shame and I don't need to be like congratulated for that. But the tension between being vulnerable, also you've used the word control, which... It's probably the word, but I also think as a reader, you can also tell when you feel like you're being controlled, like you're being led to some kind of conclusion that doesn't feel authentic, or the writer is trying to present something that doesn't really seem to be there in the text. And I guess in terms of what you said about wanting to have a workshop where those stories are safe, I mean, that's something that we all hopefully agree to when we enter a workshop, but maybe. There is space for workshops where not only are we presenting drafts that need work, but we are saying, okay, this is one of those stories that I have been trying to write, but I haven't shared yet. And so I would kind of hope that the person didn't write the memory out yesterday and then present it to workshop the next day, but that there is some kind of in-between the first writing and even considering publishing something if i was in that situation i would know what i was getting into and i guess that's just setting up the expectations of a workshop and consent really like everyone consenting to be there but grief isn't tidy so
1: that's the challenge yeah i like i kind of feel like there's no we're not going to come here with some kind of instruction manual for how no. to write about grief i think what's helped for me is finding readers who want to write about trauma and then be able to share that with them and also maybe like for me also discernment of feedback I have done the outline course I was talking about there are a lot of people in the course and you know in that case I'm not creating the community around me there's just kind of random people who signed up for the course and not everybody in that who read my outline was my reader and then some people really were. And so to have the people who respond really well, who don't just say, again, like definitely got feedback like, you're so brave yeah. for sharing this. Yeah. But people who are like, oh, wow, I'm really feeling this. And it's incredible because it's such a traumatic experience. But again, I think we're praising the fact that there was kind of this authorial, like there was a voice and an art to some of the sections I shared. I feel a bit egotistical <laughs> sharing that. But anyway, but. I guess like for me as the grief memoir writer and who's trying to get feedback and trying to improve my writing, knowing that not everybody is going to be able to go there and read the work as work, especially when I do feel it is mostly processed work. You know, and actually there are cases where it's not and I'm still, I would call it like litigating sometimes. Sometimes I'm like just trying to argue the fact that I deserve to have a story and arguing against other narratives and I like people identifying that for me too but the kind of feedback I really dislike is like this must have been so hard for you or just well it's like obviously I'm writing a memoir about something that's really hard on purpose (laughs) like it's
0: I don't need you to tell me that it was hard it was (laughs) well it's like they're saying "Ooh, that's so ugly I can't believe you're doing that they may as well say this kind of fucked me up but I don't want to admit it (laughs)
1: And I think it comes from fear sometimes. Like, I think people want to elevate people and say that, oh, they're the brave, strong person who survived these things because then that means it's external to them
0: and not something that could happen to them. Right. Or that if it did, that they would be as brave. I guess that's the most generous side of it, that there is a way through. But yeah, I think it's a fear thing, a kind of pushing away, like you don't want to catch it like a cold so you kind of distance yourself from it that can also be a form of safety I mean sometimes I think the people that react like that are in awe because they are not working on their own shit so they'd rather congratulate you. Yeah they're writing a
1: memoir about something else and ignoring the lava pit in the middle of their life that they haven't based, which is fine too. I mean, I think there is the Mary Carr exercise from her book on my writing memoir, where she talks about whether you're ready to write a memoir about a difficult subject. And the exercise is to start by just writing the hardest part and then seeing that you're going to have no emotional reaction to it, but you may, but just like how hard was the reaction? Did you go to bed for a week? Did you cry for an hour I literally recall doing that sitting on my bed in Montreal where I lived at the time and I did cry for an hour but I didn't go to bed for a week so I thought okay I think I can do this soon like I'm getting there.
0: When you're saying that it's reminding me of an intense feeling of elation I had at writing out one of these like core memories of shame and you know which could also be alarming right the kind of like high of releasing something that has not been so far articulated the way that I wanted it to be that could also be something to notice let's just say and I'm not trying to make it negative those extreme reactions say something about where you're at with it
1: in that because you feel like there was like denial
0: to it somehow from being so elated I think what it is is part of my tendency which I'm trying to get away from sharing things before they're ready so like okay that's the first time I wrote it out and I feel elation because I feel like there's space inside of me or I've relieved something that was going to eventually come out but not sharing that too quickly which is something I used to do I used to share it with other artistic friends, I guess.
1: I think a lot of new writers do that. I guess that's like part of the maturity of writing is knowing when to go, okay, this is first draft. I mean, a lot of just new writers don't realize how many drafts it takes to finish because there's the myth of the first draft perfection, you know, the genius, the artistic genius. who can just put it down and now it's ready to publish. There's something to be said for kind of writing it and then keeping it close to you, and then you being the next person to read it fresh after some time. And that's, I guess, probably the work that we're talking about too, the careening work, the work that you read and you're just like, you would have served not just the writing, but yourself more to have given this a little bit more space and reflection.
0: Yeah, that's the kind way to say it.
1: I kind of want to defend that person too, though. You know, I'm not like laughing at them and their artlessness. I think they could get there and certainly have as much potential as any of us. The work of writing is the work. It's like the only way you're going to improve is writing is to work. But I want to defend them because, again, like therapy ain't free. It's not cheap. And then also like finding a therapist who gets the intersection and perspective that you're coming from. It's hard sure. i had a hard time and i've had all white therapists who came from a similar more middle class background like i do so yeah i guess i i kind of feel like there's a place for that being able to write that but then i want to also invite those people to mm-hmm. both write their traumas down and use it as a way to heal but then The thing with sharing it outside of yourself too is kind of like approval seeking a bit too. So writing it down and then just sending it out right away is like now I've written out the worst thing that ever happened to me and now I want someone to give some kind of stamp of approval and publish it.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't feel like that's healthy for anyone. And then it's also not artistic and it's not going to be evaluated as
0: art. Which is too bad because there is, still value in connection, just as humans, like people share difficult things, I think, because they want to feel close to someone or they do feel close to someone. And in the context of workshop, it's maybe difficult to see it as something closer to being done. But I agree. I think I appreciate the times when I've received a really raw story from someone, even if it's made me feel uncomfortable I think also that's like part of my responsibility and maybe something again my privilege of having been in therapy of having someone say to me notice that all those kind of like mindfulness type practices that if I'm receiving something like that I can go okay what is this triggering in me am I unwilling to give feedback on this because I'm Uncomfortable that this person is doing this, or because it's reminding me of something I went through, and I'm thinking, Oh, how dare you describe it this way, or whatever. This is not my best self that I'm describing, but I have received drafts where I'm like, Oh, this is very new and fresh. I am truly grateful that the person felt safe to share it with me or share it with a workshop. But I will admit that sometimes. If I've received something like that in workshop, I have to really force myself to look at the actual words on the screen, on the paper, and say, okay, what am I actually finding in the text? Am I making a judgment about where this person is at because of what I know about them? Or, you know, I don't know, all those little judgments you make about people without meaning to. And how can I be useful? By pointing to the text instead of saying, you shouldn't share this. (laughs) Because, I mean, that would really shut down the person being willing to work on it. I guess we've probably all been there. I definitely took a more confessional
1: voice in my early writing. That was like, almost like I had dared myself to expose some scary things. But again, I hadn't made those connections yet of what it means. And probably it's actually therapy that helped me more like come into myself and own my story in that way and be like the thing that I'm trying to be cool and show that it didn't hurt me really did hurt me. It's probably a lot of what was happening in my writing then. I have
0: some Roxanne Gay quotes that I wrote down from an event she recently did around writing about trauma about the difference between disclosure and an essay that first outpouring of this is what happened to me is not the writing and so yeah I think that's kind of what we're talking about is that sometimes in workshops we're getting the disclosure and that we want to like respect that but it's not necessarily a piece yet but disclosure is part of it and it also makes me think about how and Roxanne Gay was talking about this too. You don't have to describe the actual moment in the case of abuse. There are ways to write about abuse and the effects of abuse without describing the worst incidents. I think that's probably what does happen between the
1: disclosure draft and the essay too. Is like, okay, now I have written the hardest part, but now I can write. Once I interviewed Alicia Elliott, who told me, I just re-listened to it recently because I attributed this to her, but she actually attributed it to Kinesia Lubrin, the poet, that you can write around the trauma, that you don't need to write the trauma itself. And I think that's a really handy tool, especially when we kind of live, or maybe we're coming out of this time of trauma porn in writing too, or it's like, tell me the worst thing that happened to you so people can read in a way that's Really consuming it and almost being like, oh, I'm lucky I'm not that person. And instead, like writing around the trauma, I think, creates that space of here's our connection and shared experience. Because yes, if you've known any kind of heartache, you'll know the heartache that I'm describing here. But you don't need to hear the sexual assault or yes. whatever that experience might be.
0: Well, describing sexual assault in detail is... Maybe important for the disclosure part, but it's not, to me, the story. I mean, most of the story is providing context. Like, how do we love our abusers too? What are some times that we've had with our abusers in which they were really kind and loving? What are the effects of that? I don't think that you want to traumatize your readers. And I think that people who have had those types of experiences can infer. Their imagination fills it in very well because they know. I think it's really powerful for me to say, you know, my dad baked bread on weekends and I can still remember the smell of bread or I loved that he took me fishing. There are moments that I love, but there is also the undercurrent of danger. And if that can be expressed It just gets at the complexity of being in relationships, being in a family, and the characters in your memoir get a chance to be real. I think disclosure
1: can be about the event and be maybe a bit more extreme in terms of good, bad, and this happened to me. I think there are real villains, so I don't think everyone needs to be given like a benefit of the doubt or something like that. That's a whole lot, yeah sorry that's a whole other episode yeah yeah. exactly (laughs) (laughs) but I also think for lesser slights or the ways I've been done wrong I think for sure first draft for me is very much I've been done wrong and you're a bad person and then second third draft there's more perspective of how might that person feel in the circumstance or what are the other conflicting emotions because otherwise too like writing about that. it feels like, well, you know, if you're billboarding, this person is terrible and they did all these terrible things, then in some ways, too, the reader doesn't trust the writer, too, because they're like, well, why didn't you see this? Because, yeah. Anyway. But actually, I think we are a bit off track. Actually, I took us further off track in terms of <laughs> therapy. I'm wondering, could we maybe talk about our takeaways from thinking about memoir equals therapy? Like, I think I went into it thinking, as memoir therapy is therapy, but I have seen therapeutic benefits. And I'm curious how you came into it and then what you're thinking now that we've had this conversation.
0: I think I feel strongly that writing is therapeutic. And there is a difference, as Roxanne Gay mentioned, there's a difference between disclosure and the sort of final work that both writing and therapy are really privileged activities. I feel really grateful to be having a conversation about (laughs) writing memoir and about going to therapy. But I think the main thing they share, and they do it differently, but creating connection. My therapist explained to me, to think of my relational health, there's been an injury to my ability to connect to other people and that together we're going to sort of reset my ability to connect. And so that's the processing that I get to do as someone who gets to have therapy. The writing should also, I think, focus on connection. I need to disclose what happened for myself. And then I need to describe how I felt about it, around it, after it, to connect with the reader. I need them to know how those experiences like reverberate in my body so that they can connect to that as well with ultimately empathy being part of it.
1: I'm nodding emphatically at everything you're saying around the connection Piece, the goal of connection and that being kind of the connective tissue, I guess, between both writing and therapy. One takeaway I think from our conversation though is I'm feeling more reflective on that disclosure writing because I do see it. I mean, I both take people's work in for critique, like I do some one on one critiques, workshops, and then as an editor, as I mentioned. And I think I'm going to work a bit more on how to give more constructive feedback to that kind of writing versus being I don't think I was wholly dismissive definitely felt honored that people shared work with me but just thinking about how to provide more resources or even just more empathy for people writing bearing in mind I think how you know privileged it is like you said to both be able to do therapy And write. So that's maybe a shift I've taken, but I definitely still feel like memoir is memoir therapy is therapy, but that I've definitely grown a lot and gotten over quote unquote things through writing about them because of the perspective it's given me just to really, you know, to block out a whole scene and a conversation with someone and then being forced to empathize with the person that I'm writing about, like the interaction I might be writing about. Has made me think about, you know, maybe not again, not necessarily forgive people for things they did wrong, but just get a bit more, okay, these are the resources they had, and this is why they may have responded this way, which I feel like somehow is able to do that more in writing than in therapy, which I think kind of rightly centers me and my feelings and thoughts and experiences. I don't think. Many therapists will say, well, imagine how that other person must have felt and what resources they had. Like, maybe they would. Yeah. But it's all in the service of you, you know, and how you're healing. And there's been something really powerful for me about the writing of things and
0: the empathy. I guess I also, too, want to acknowledge how much therapy has helped me feel permission and see that my creative life is important. Whether Mm -hmm. anyone ever reads what I write, it's still important. I do like what you're saying about how to receive the disclosure drafts respectfully, which includes honesty. And I guess one of the ways to do that is to make sure that as much as possible, have an understanding where the writer feels they're at. I mean, maybe it is just that. Like, I mean, this would require the person receiving feedback to be allowed to speak. But where do you think this story is?
1: You know, I think it's okay to identify it as oh, this is more disclosure than essay, but that also we all start there and here are some ways to
0: get to the next. Sometimes disclosure is about events. So this happened, then this happened, and this happened. Whereas the writing is writing in between this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened and I felt this I used to think it went this, now it means this. Those kind of like recognizable memoir type phrases where it shows reflection, distance, feelings changing over time. I find myself thinking about the first stage of acknowledging trauma and how boundless it can feel and how therapists have warned me to be careful about who I share my story. And so then I guess that would go for the writing as well. It's like, write it, but
1: then don't share it. And then look at it again a little bit later, like a
0: week or two or even a month later. And I would even say, like, if someone isn't in therapy and can't access that, that there is value in disclosing to yourself. That's part of the steps. And as you say, to disclose what's comfortable for you without re-traumatizing yourself. And it really depends where people are at, too, with their stories.
1: They might do something like write the hardest thing and then it might be too hard. It might be too soon as well. Put someone into like into bed or spiral for a week or something, you know, and it's already so hard. Yeah. These days. Like planning some care. Give yourself some space if you can to care for yourself as you write. I mean, the difference too is when you're writing the memoir, you are, I mean, unless you're really connected to writing community, you're doing that on your own. Whereas in therapy, you're working with someone who's guiding the process. And so it's a little more untethered. Certainly it's been good when for me when it's coupled, when I'm doing both. It's like writing and processing stuff and then being able to talk about what I write about
0: in therapy. I don't know what book it's in, but Brene Brown talks about how she's always trying to write things on her own. And at one point she invites a group of trusted people to her house, I think, and they start talking through, creating things together. And I guess that's another thing. I don't know if everyone has someone that they can share their feelings with, but maybe they can talk to their cat. I used to do suicide awareness and prevention for teenagers. And so the teaching that we gave was when your friend discloses to you that they're feeling suicidal, one of the things you can do once you've listened and all that stuff you can say, I'm going to call you tomorrow. Hmm. And that's just the plan. I'm going to call you tomorrow at two o'clock. Then the person who's feeling bad knows that call is coming at two o'clock. I mean, we're not talking about suicidal ideation, but we are talking about grief and it can be really disorienting. And so I guess that's why I keep emphasizing this, have someone to call or plan to go for a walk with a friend or find a time that you feel stable, but you also have some point of connection because it can feel really lonely yeah
1: like you don't have to disclose to the person but just say hey I'm doing something I'm trying something difficult I'm going to write this thing I don't need to talk about it or don't want to talk about it yeah but I just kind of need to know that you're there for me and we can connect
0: yeah how lucky I feel to be having this conversation and to be making friends who are writing but Everyone wants to tell their story is the other thing I believe, whether they publish or not, everyone wants to be heard. Our prompt for you is to write about disclosure. We're inviting you to ask yourself, do you need to disclose painful events in order to tell the story you are writing? And if so, which events would you disclose and why? What does the reader need to know to understand what these painful events mean to you and meant to you and your narrative? At this point, you may not feel ready to write the details of that disclosure even to yourself. You decide to do what is safe for you. We suggest you may want to contact a friend before you do this. This prompt, letting them know you plan to do some potentially difficult writing and you'd love to be able to chat with them or not chat and just go for a walk afterwards. Again, you decide what and when you disclose, who is safe, and eventually you will be able to build trust with your readers and make safe and artistic decisions about what you tell and why.
1: Thank you for listening to Writing Grief. Keep writing and keep connecting with your story, yourself, and other grief writers.
0: Thank you for opening your writing heart to the Writing Grief podcast created and produced by us, Rachel Thompson and Melly Walker. Visit writinggrief.com for detailed show notes on each episode. We try to link to every book or reference we make in this episode, even if
1: it's just made in passing. If there's something we missed or you want to know more about, you can contact us on our website, writinggrief.com or at podcast at writinggrief.com. Sound editing by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. Our podcast art was created by the talented Monica Calderon. Find her at
0: monicadesigns.ca. We support Indigenous sovereignty worldwide, and we acknowledge the lands and the first peoples of those lands on which we record our podcast.
1: Our writing practice takes place and benefits from the unceded territories of the Kenyan Kahaka and the Anishinaabeg peoples in the place colonially known as Montreal, Quebec, and the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Sawasin, and Musqueam nations in so-called Greater Vancouver, and of the lands of the El Tirbin Bedouin in South Sinai, Egypt.
0: If you're a non-Indigenous listener, we encourage you to learn about the land and the Indigenous peoples whose territories you write from. Where were the trees you read in as a child? What is the history of the lands that helped you grow into the writer you are today? Who are the people who care for that land now and in the past? This may take some research on sites like native-land.ca. Thanks again for listening to Writing Grief.